bit to eat for a reason. No one else, even her current boyfriend, thinks enough of her to be with her sober in the daylight. Then she's got this thirst, what one commentator calls our unquenchable thirst for love. Unquenchable thirst for love. She's drank five pre previous men down to the bottom. She's drank them dry, and she's working on her sick. She offered her body in the hope that some guy somewhere would see her soul and appreciate her. But that doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen over and over and over again. It was yet another hookup that ended up on a couch at a party. It was yet another fake friendship that resulted from someone thinking that you weren't good enough as a Christian. And on their part, the men have promised this woman something. Something beyond sex, an intimacy, a connection, but each has failed to deliver it. They've used her. They've used her physically and they've dumped the rest of her person. Do you get that? They've dumped the social, the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual parts of her, just as a curve. And they've objectified her. She is a two-dimensional, object. She is a pornographic picture for them. And so there's a Samaritan woman at the well at noon, and all she's got left is shame. That's all she's got to her name. And she drags it around behind her with an insecure pride and a private pain. Like all of us, the woman at the well was inbuilt with a thirst, with desires towards God to be loved and to love, to be known and to know. And like most of us in the room, she has directed those desires, those thirsts, away from God and towards people and towards photographs and towards body parts. Because in an effort to quench her spiritual thirst, but those things can't. She and we trade a biblical practice of sex that looks like soulful surrender in the safe confines of marriage, and we trade it for this physical manipulation, this nakedness divorce of commitment, this nakedness that doesn't take into account the whole person in front of us. And this lust only makes us thirstier for things that can't satisfy us. Look, it doesn't matter if you're a virgin or you're a promise ring. I don't care. This passage is still for you. Okay? We live in a society that has a very messed up view of sex. All kinds of intimacy, all kinds of social, emotional, and spiritual intimacy have been made into one kind of intimacy, physical intimacy. It's called sexualization of intimacy. Look it up in a counseling book. You see, sex is not actually about sex. Sex is about who we are, not what we do. And because it's about who we are, intimacy is the fuel that who we are runs on. Do you get that? The soul connection is what makes us breathe again for another day. What makes us thirst to have relationships. And so the reason that New Mexico State has a hookup culture is not because people have animal uncontrollable impulses. The reason that we have a hookup culture is because we want care and affection and attention. And we don't know where to get it. And some of us get it through casual sex and pornography. 
other books get it from hearing the secret and having exclusive friendships that are best friends forever. And this is what makes Jesus so incredible. You get this? Not only do we have a God who is God and felt for those who are different than him, which is all of us. We have a God, Jesus, who meets us in our very need. There he is, sitting on the rim of the well in the heat of the day in a wasteland. Okay? Outside of the city. His human nature is tired and thirsty, according to verses 6 through 7. And through his all too human need, Jesus offers us something that his only too divine nature can only truly offer us. Eternal satisfaction. Eternal life. A living water that courses through the realm of Shalom. Do we get that? Do we realize that if Jesus wasn't tired and thirsty in that moment, he wouldn't fully understand how very tired and thirsty we are most of the day all the time. He faced every temptation and succeeded in the face of them, where we fail. Not to drink a straw, not to use and dump us, not to leave us wrapped in our shame, but to die on a cross for us. Do we get that? According to verses 28 through 30, Jesus can completely heal us so that we can leave behind our lusting water jars and run to other people who feel judgmental and shaming. That doesn't mean that we're done with thirsting here on earth. Okay, by the way. That doesn't mean that. It means that Jesus kisses our wounds and he touches our brokenness. He slowly heals our hearts and he tenderly fixes our disordered love. At the risk of going too long and getting way too personal, let me tell you a story in my life that reflects, reminds me of who Jesus is as Messiah. Because I still feel that this is not taking hold of us, of me. In graduate school, I took a counseling course called Sexuality and Sex Therapy. And you can imagine it's pretty intense and often uncomfortable. And we talked about seven stages of orgasm for Pete's sake, so like a, three hours. Um, it also happened that there was a term paper for this class, uh, and this term paper was one of the last papers that I would write in graduate school, right before I became a minister and started doing this full time. But this term paper wasn't some academic research paper, it was a sexual history paper, where I was asked to trace and to catalog the fracture lines of my sexual brokenness. So after putting off the assignment for a long, long while, it was the night before, and in one night, I wrote down all of my thoughts on the subject. I wrote, and I wrote, and I wrote, day and night, late into the night, and early into the morning. I wrote about my relationship with my dad. I wrote about my childhood fears. I wrote about the way that I comforted myself with lust through high school and college. I wrote about my insecurities about going into the Christian ministry. I wrote about my questions I had about what it means to be a man. In total, I wrote 14 pages tracing the intricate details of my sexual failures from childhood to the present day, to that moment of graduation. And then you won't believe it. I stopped it in an envelope and sent it to Colorado, where my professor lived. 
I may stand, address, and mail my most personal and soul-crushing sins. I imagine you're somewhere in Colorado sipping a cup of coffee with waving a red pen over a stack of my level insecurities. But to my surprise, um, I received a few months later the paper I never thought I would get back. And of course, I waited for a while again to look at it. When I finally did reread the paper, which was painful enough, I braced myself for her extensive comments. She wrote over everything. And I thought, oh great. Here comes world disappointment mixed with spelling corrections. <laughs> but to my surprise, I started reading her comments and I started to cry. In fact, as I read them this morning again, I got tear filled once more. Let me quote some of them to you because my guess is that asking you to share your wounds with Jesus feels a lot like knowing your deepest, darkest secrets to Colorado. So it might be fitting to show you the beautiful, distant figure that traced my sexual brokenness after me and what she said about it. Thank you for letting me read this, Sid. It was a true privilege. Although you write your story beautifully, you don't consider it a beautiful story. I pray that you feel the kiss of Jesus on your heart, that your heart burns with the kiss, the kiss of not your failures and not your humanness. Do you, do I, do we get that Jesus is kissing those parts of ourselves that we made ugly and hide in the darkness? And do we know tonight that Jesus' kiss burns away our fears and our failures? And all we have to do is to come to him with our hearts and say one word, broken. Would you pray with me? Father, I don't know what to say the passage is hard. The passage keeps me up at night. The passage makes me sick to my stomach. The passage makes me want to cry. Thinking about my daughter, my daughters, thinking about my wife, thinking about myself, thinking about my history, thinking about the way you kiss all of that. You made it beautiful. I pray that I understand your grace. I pray that we understand your shalom. I pray that we would understand the barbed wire all around us. And I pray that you understand that we're not meant to be broken, that we're meant to be whole. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.